This is Mr. Impact Wrestling himself, Moose, and you're listening to the Irish Whip. Hookers? Hookers and Coke? Hookers and Coke, man. You're the only pro wrestler I know that wants to do this shit in the morning. Yeti, you're a f***ing moron. Put it this way, I think Sammy Callahan might as well just change his name to Invader I want to know why. Like, he can dodge any question. Like, I'll tell anyone that. You can tell me the f***, but I, I'm going to ask specific questions. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. WrestlingNewsSource.com all the rest of you yahoos are out there dilly-dilly you little wankers, we're actually receiving real wrestling news. This is Brett screwed Brett. I'm Who are you to, to, to doubt El Dandy? Because this guy's a serious professional. Brett screwed Brett. Hold two arm bar. Hey, get a nice shot of the brand new Mr. and Mrs. Hunter Hearst Helmsley. I hate you. I hate you. I hate your hat. I hate your t-shirts, I hate your wristbands, I hate your shoes, I hate your music, I hate the C-Nation, I hate everything that you stand for. So does rule. Yeah, they do. <laughs> What's up, TIW Mafia? Uh, JP's here, Josh is here, and we got a guest with us today. He's a sports author, wrestling historian. And straight up wrestling author, he's written, I believe, seven books on pro wrestling and six on uh, professional hockey. Greg Oliver. Greg, how are you? Hey, thanks for having me on the show. Are we going to talk about the Bruins, too, with that accent, man? <laughs> it's actually the one sport I don't watch. Josh is over it. Josh is up in Montana, so he's a huge, he's the hockey guy. Yeah, so that not it odd to, like, Boston Bruins are one of the greatest hockey organizations in the world? And this guy's straight from Southie and has no clue what the fuck the Boston Bruins are all about. That's kind of disappointing, but hey, whatever. It's each to their own. (laughs) Everything I know about hockey, I learned from my Facebook feed. (laughs) But don't ask him about Oddly enough, I actually grew up with a kid who's now an NHL um, official, so. No, well, that's the thing about in Canada, especially. Everybody knows somebody who made it to the NHL, so it's a a law of averages. You've written books over on so many topics of pro wrestling. Not your favorite book, but what's your favorite topic? Uh, well, other than hockey. Yeah, no, with the wrestling, I mean, we did. Um, there's all the books in the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame series. There's the Canadians, the tag teams, the heels, the heroes and icons, and now the storytellers. Um, to me, I mean, writing about the bad guys is the most fun, for sure of all That's... the things. And, and it allowed me to really go explore things like sit down with Harley race and tell me about how you were a bad guy and how it was different than say Terry Funk. And it was really fascinating from that perspective. Uh, I just love listening to these guys. And so whatever project I'm working on, I'm happy to, to listen in and, and hopefully get, get the real interesting scoop and be able to share it with everybody. That's I think Harley race was a bad guy because everyone in pro wrestling was legitimately afraid of him. <laughs> and his wife. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he was always a good guy to me, though, and uh, oh, yeah. I, I loved I loved having talking to him because he was so easy to transcribe afterwards because he talked so slow That's... and and very measured, yeah, in his in his diction. Isn't that the cool thing about Harley Race is that when he did that, like he almost did it intentionally enough to pull you in further because you he like he he made you wait for the words. Yeah, no, that that's exactly it. That's, you were it was the he built the drama just by pacing himself and not rushing through it like a lot of madmen usually do on interviews. I would I would venture to say it's a safe bet that you had an easier time writing about him than your wife did writing about the missing link. Yeah, you're right. Uh, Dewey Robertson, the missing link. You're right. My wife wrote it, and um, he was a character. Basically, I mean, I called him one day. I was doing an article for Slam Wrestling about fathers and sons and he's oh good i've been praying for an author you glad you called and i said well i don't have time to do it right now but my wife you know just quit her job so she's got time and and that was definitely an adventure from there on in uh he was um he was an interesting cat uh you know we learned to really like him and he was a good friend but uh, he definitely did not have his head screwed on straight <laughs> now you actually you just brought up slam wrestling you actually founded that website right yeah, we've been going since late 1996, um, early days of the internet. Uh, yeah. We were lucky that 
the the Sun Media chain, which included you know papers in Calgary that had the Bret Hart column and Ottawa that had a wrestling column and Toronto had a wrestling column. So we had immediate content that people wanted to read. And so here we are, uh, 23 years later, and a lot of gray hair, and uh, Slam hmm. Wrestling still going. That's a, that's for a site like that. That is crazy. That's a long time. And, and, and we've done just about everything, uh, including publish the book just on our own stuff. Right. So, but it's, uh, it's been a good ride and it, it's nice to see some guys go on and do other things too. Right. I mean, wrestling's their passion, but it's not their only job. And I'm sure it's the same for you right. guys. It's, oh yeah. We love this stuff, but you got to earn a real paycheck. Sometimes. Right. The bills have to get paid as well. This is a Apparently. passion. <laughs> now you, with all the books that you've written, have people always cooperated with you, or did you ever get any pushback? Oh, yeah, yeah. There's always guys that, uh, oh, well, what are you paying me for this or this and that? And sometimes they ask and then just answer the questions anyway. And and sometimes they really do want to get paid, and I've never paid for an interview. Now, I've have I bought guys beers or, or lunch or something? Right. Sure. But that's, yeah, that's but... a different thing. Um, so, like Vader, for example, he wanted money. Okay, well, have a nice day. So that's, that's just the way it is. Right. It's, I mean, I assume like the, the pro wrestling hall of fame books I've seen. So I assume that they sell. Oh yeah. But, they've done I well. Mean, yeah. Is that your nine to five? Is that your, you know, is that your bread and butter basically? No, I've never made a full living out of this. What I, what I like to say is that for the longest time I was a stay at home dad slash writer okay. and now my son just turned 13. And so now I'm a uh, writer slash stay at home dad. Uh, the hockey the hockey books did better than the wrestling in some ways because they they sell quicker and faster here in Canada, but like the heels and tag teams like they've all gone to multiple printings by this point, which is which is pretty cool. Now the one I want to touch on and I don't want to touch on it yet. I just want to kind of tease it a little. It's something that I've taken some interest in over the years, and I think every wrestling fan has. And you actually wrote in the Benoit book, correct? Yeah, we did We did the first Benoit book. It was me and Steve Johnson who did a number of these books with me, uh, Heath McCoy out of Calgary, and uh, Irv Muchnick, uh, the rabble-rouser out of, um, he's out in California. And uh, we all worked together on a, it was basically an instant book. It was easily the fastest book we ever did. Um, wow. he, he killed them the end of June. We had the copy in by the beginning of August, and it was out by late September. That's really? a ridiculous turnaround for a real publisher. Like if you're self-publishing, fine, right. you can have it out tomorrow. But for a real publisher to get that out and on the shelves um, yeah. was was a real accomplishment on everybody's part. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like anybody now, and I'm sure you'll agree with this. Anybody now can literally write a book. Yep. You self-publish, put it out on Amazon, and have it as a not a hard copy. You throw the soft copy out there with like the Kindles and stuff. Your books all have the ISBN numbers. Your books are all, they've been on legitimate. Like, you're, you're part of ECW Press for most of them, correct? Yeah, so 13 books. So all uh, were, were with ECW Press. And then I actually self-published, too, as we talk about that. I did a, a, a hockey book, so it's not for you, JP, but it's uh, called Duck uh, with the Puck. It's, uh, my son was about six at the time, and we worked together on a book about his favorite stuffed animal, playing hockey. Oh, that's awesome. And then uh, we did another one called Santa's Day Job, uh, which, again, I self-published. Sometimes I, you just have the need to do it, right? You get an idea, and it's like, I don't want to go through the whole publishing process of trying to find somebody to print this. I'm just going to do it myself. And that's Now, who did, because both of those had some artwork on them, at least on the covers. Who did you uh, partner up with for that? Yeah, well, that's, that's the neat part. I mean, in the world today, you can hire somebody anywhere. Okay. Um, now, in my case, Annette Ballesteri did my first book, The Duck with the Puck, and she was one of my slam wrestling. Uh, she was more cartoonist at the time. Um, and then uh, I just found another girl online um, for the second book, and uh, Catherine uh, Olechik, and she uh, did a wonderful job with, with Santa's Day Job. So, uh, you know, it's the same thing, right? There's people out there willing to help. Uh, you yes. just got to find them and, and pay them. That's... Now, you get, you're getting an award in 2020 that you and it's your second time receiving this award which i don't think that happens too often uh from the cauliflower alley club i'm talking about the the james melby historian award what does that mean to you 
Well, technically, it's it's the second one I've gotten on the James Melby Award, but the other one was from the the Dan Gable Museum in Waterloo, Iowa, and oh. their Hall of Fame. Okay. Um, so Steve Johnson and I were co-recipients of that in 2008, and that's more of a um, a journalism award. Like they've given it to Bill Apter and to uh, George Napolitano, uh, Mike Mooneyham. Uh, and those are all amazing names, and I'm, I'm thrilled to be honored with them, uh, and especially Jim Melby, who was a friend of mine. But the the CAC, the Colorado Alley Club, yeah. which is essentially the you know uh, fraternal organization for pro, pro wrestling. There's right. really no other thing like it. And um, theirs is more historian-based, so I'm being recognized for that. Uh, but to me, it's also, we talked about slam wrestling. I mean, on that site, we've done so much historical-wise that I also considered an award for not just me, but also my writers and and all the people who've worked with me over the years, whether we've sent somebody to, you know, Superstar Billy Graham's house in Phoenix mm-hmm. or, you know, we, we dropped by Reggie Park's house. He's also in Phoenix. <laughs> um, and, and look at him making belts. I mean, these are historical things that that's, we made and that are online. So That's pretty cool. Like the Reggie Park's belts, I mean, they make some of the best belts out there. Yeah, that's, he's, he's and, been retired a lot lately, but, uh, yeah, he's still a, an amazing dude. No. Now, what does it mean to you, or what do you think it takes to be considered a wrestling historian? Because a, it's a term that's thrown around a lot, and I figure someone like you, like you're getting awards for it, you're, you know, the Cauliflower Alley Club's recognizing you as a historian. What do you think it takes to be considered a historian? Hmm. That's a good question. It's Because it's, it's, I'm also part of a hockey historians group called the Society of International Hockey Research. And so you think about that a lot because it's not just collecting stats, right? It's not just who won, who lost, which belts you held. It, it's also how everything fits together, how this led to that. Um, maybe it's the real names. It's digging up information nobody else has found before. It's packaging it in a way that's uh, relatable for people, right? If you just post it on a website, nobody sees it. Does it really count? I guess that might be a bit um, dismissive, but I don't mean it to be. It's just we've worked really hard, and and Steve Johnson is a little bit older than me, and he's been a journalist a little bit longer, like about 10 years, so not a lot, but enough that he really inspired me when we worked together on tag teams and heels and uh, heroes and icons and and then the storytellers to to try harder to get that next interview, to dig up that family member that – you don't know where they are, but we're going to make, you know, 300 That's... calls to make it happen. Um, it's a lot easier now than it used to be, internet-wise, because you can find people. But right. uh, it's still a lot of work, for sure. Right. And it, it, it is. It's well, Like I said, we started doing this in 04 and 05, me and Josh, both on different shows at the time. And to find a phone number to get an interview, you had to jump through a million hoops. Now you can just message somebody. Yep. And it's that it's that much easier with uh, social media and everything. But, I mean, I think to become a wrestling historian, you should have to name everybody that was in the Rio de Janeiro tournament for the first intercontinental <laughs> belt. Yeah. How about I said uh, I've been drinking with Pat Patterson instead? Is that, that, that'll qualify me, right? That, yes, that will absolutely you. qualify you. Those, but those are the memories you get at these events, right? So when you go to the Cauliflower Alley Club or you go to Amsterdam, New York, where the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame used to be, or now it's in Wichita Falls, or you go to Waterloo, or you go to even like the Fan Fest, the recent one that was in, uh, uh, where was it, North Carolina. But you go to all those different events and you get time with these guys that are your heroes or that you worshipped right. or that you know you you didn't know much about. But man, sitting down and drinking beer with you know Jack Briscoe and his wife Jan, like, these are memories I'll, I'll keep forever. No. It, yeah, it's insane when you get to... Because we've done a... I've, well, I've done a couple where we've gotten tables at um, a couple of the fan fests and just to be able to hang out at the afterwards with some of these guys and have conversations with them and it's guys you grew up with. It's, it's crazy that it's that small of a world. They're normal people, aren't they? But they're not normal. Like, it's it's right. hard to explain that, you know, for every guy like a Rick Martel, who really does seem grounded, you know, didn't have his kid till after wrestling and, and you know, had a good job to go back to. Then there's the guys like, you know, your your Ken Pateras or your Jake Roberts that just are, 
not quite all there. To right. use the term I used earlier with Dewey Robertson. Now, did you, what type of, like when you do these lists and you, you kind of rank people, have you had anybody that's come to you and said, hey, why was I this and I should have been that? Or why wasn't I before this guy and I should have been? Uh, yeah, no, there's always guys like that. And, and wrestling is such a funny business because it, uh, you're at, at one time, you have to rely on everybody else to make yourself look good, right? You've got to have an opponent. You've got to have a referee. You've got to have the lighting guy. You've got to have everybody that makes it all work. Uh, to make yourself look good. And so you're always self-promoting yourself. And these guys, if they weren't saying, I deserve that, then they probably don't belong in the business because uh, you need an ego. But it, yeah. it's so bizarre compared to, you know, the hockey players. You don't hear them complaining about their ranking in the top 100 of all time. But in, in pro wrestling, it's like, oh, my God, I can't believe you did this. But the point is that I'm a historian. I've gone through, and when we established the Jim Londis was the greatest babyface of all time in our Heroes and Icons book. A lot of people always go, Jim Londis. Well, he was the Babe Ruth of the day, right, back in the 1930s. And, and it, there's no equivalent today. And the amount of publicity he got, uh, the, the worship he got, there, there never will be another one. Um, and that's just the nature of the business and, and, and the world and how it's changed. So there's always going to be people a little bit upset about that. One of my favorite stories, though, was um, Gene Kaniski. Uh, he's number six in my all-time Canadians list. And I told him he's number six, and he started hemming and hawing and getting a little <laughs> bit upset on the phone. And I said, Gene, let me tell you who's ahead of you. And I go, Whipper Billy Watson, Yvon Robert, Killer Kowalski, Mad Dog Vachon, and Earl McCready. And he just goes, I'm okay with that. So, yeah. you know, you got to be able to rein in your ego sometimes too, I guess, is a good way to put That's, it. I'm reading, I'm, I'm looking on your Wikipedia. Yep. And... What a lovely picture. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, that's an author picture, though. That's, a, that's one is of that, those you put in the back of the book. Did you say yep. Wikipedia or Wikipedia? Wikipedia. <laughs> I wanted to start a, a Boston-based one and call it Wikipedia at one point. I just never did it. <laughs> Wikipedia. <laughs> but Bret Hart was apparently upset that he was behind Sky Low Low. Yeah, yeah, and that... You know, I, I don't have a reasoning. problem with him being upset about that. And that happened. But the problem is it happened publicly. So the short version of it was that uh, he was inducting his father uh, into the Hall of Fame in Waterloo, Iowa, yeah. uh, based on his amateur credentials, this and that. And he used his time on the platform, which I didn't even have a time on the platform. Mine was in the afternoon when Steve Johnson and I were honored. We <laughs> didn't get a spot at the banquet. Uh, and then uh, Brett used that time to go off on me about not being worthy. Um, so wow. in the end, he said, you leave or I leave. And I just waved and he stormed off. And so, as I said, you need to have an ego in the business. I understand that. Yeah. Um, but you also need to be able to be a decent well, person. And, and he had plenty of chances to talk to me in person if he's upset about whatever it was. Yeah. I mean, he. Uh, Brett, I won't say anything negative. I don't know Brett Hart, but I've heard stories on his ego. Yeah, and, that, and that's fine. And I can it's say it's it like a business that, that and, needs ego. Right. If you don't think you're the best in the room, you shouldn't be in the room. Yeah, exactly. You don't think you deserve yeah. that chance to, to main event or to do whatever. Yeah. yeah, why are you there? Now, what can I ask? Because I think I know the answer. What had you put Sky Lolo ahead of him? Oh, it was Sky Lolo and Little Beaver were eight and, okay. eight and a half. So exactly we, we paired them together. Thinking. Like that. that's a bit of a gimmick. I have no yep. problem with that. But, um, you know, they were world-famous pioneering midget wrestlers, both from, yes. you know, Quebec, which is amazing in and of itself. Uh, they wrestled in that. front of the Queen. They did so many things that were groundbreaking. Yes. Um, that that's, you know, that yeah. to me it, means a lot more than a guy in a multimedia world, um, you know, which, you know, it's a time and a place. You know, what he yeah. got done in the 90s is different than what the guys did in the 50s and 60s. And that's exactly what I figured was Sky Lolo historically uh, made more impact. Yeah, absolutely. And that's... Now, I do want to touch, like, on the Chris Benoit thing, because I know, like, I've listened to guys talk, and uh, Chris Nowinski said publicly, very publicly at one point, 
Uh, he was told if he went after Chris Benoit's brain or if he went public with any of it that he wasn't going to be employed anymore, and he wasn't employed anymore. He chose to pursue that, obviously, with the, the CTE and the uh, post-concussion syndrome and that type of thing. Did you get pushback from anybody on the Benoit thing? Uh, well, it goes back to your earlier question about, you know, guys refusing to be interviewed. So, you know, they're, they're, during that, it was such a delicate subject that there were a number of people that said, no, I'd rather not talk. And that's fine. I respect that. Um, you know, just, again, be professional about it. Yeah. Um, and and yeah. so, yeah, I, I mean, I can remember, uh, like, Scott Norton, for example. Uh, then again, you hear all these different things uh, about the business, and, and, you know, we hear rumors, and they get spread so quickly so a good example is Trevor Murdoch, who was in the WWE at the time. And um, he, I, I saw him at an event in Iowa, and I asked, you know, well, I I'm, I'm understand you guys aren't allowed to talk about Benoit. And he said, no, that's not true. So we sat down and we talked about Benoit. And he, um, the, the delicateness of the subject and the way we talked about it led to him reaching out to me afterwards when Lance Cade died and he said, well, I really want to talk about Lance. Uh, will you talk to me about it? So there's, there's, I guess that's the way you build on relationships through the years and even a delicate subject can, can be worthwhile in the end. Right. That's right. Oh no. And that's a, because that's something that did change, not just pro wrestling, but the NFL as well. In the way they handle things, I think all the CTE stuff that the NFL is doing, that the WWE is doing, the WWE clearly, but the NFL, I think all started there as well. I think that's the question that I want to ask is, is really like when you were doing the research on Benoit and you were looking at uh, all this information, like how how difficult was it for you to not only like dive into that story but also be able to write about it, like between the mental health and the CTE and the frontal lobe and even relating to that to enforcers in the NHL. Like, is that hard to write a story like that? I mean, I can't imagine being in your shoes, but I mean, I mean, what is the process? I mean, there's a writing process. Like what was your process for that Benoit portion? Hmm, what's the, well, the best thing to say is that in the end, you're a professional, right? And you step, you have to step back but there are things you can't deny, right? So part of the book is personal letters that Chris Benoit wrote to me, uh, emails. Um, there's not a lot, but there's a few, and, and he talks about, uh, I, I'd send him a note after Eddie Guerrero died. We knew each other. I probably did his first ever extended interview when he was in WCW because um, he'd only just arrived, and I remember bugging Alan Sharp, who was their PR guy, about it. Um, how much I really wanted to talk to this guy who'd been in Mexico and been in Germany and been in Japan. So I got to talk to him, which was awesome. Um, so we kept in touch. And like I said, we weren't close friends, but, you know, when Eddie Guerrero died, I sent a note. And uh, he wrote back, appreciative, and, and said that um, his wife, Nancy, had bought him a, a like a journal to be able to keep track of his thoughts. And he was having real trouble dealing with, you know, Eddie's loss and his own feelings about it all. So, I mean, I have all this stuff, which is, I mean, not to be facetious or anything, but it was, it was gold, right? It was really good stuff. And I knew that. Um, so that was a, one of the centerpieces of the whole book. And I was able to um, string a couple other stories to uh, where'd I go? The Atlanta journal and, and um, journal constitution, sorry. And the globe and mail in Toronto so all these different places I, I was able to do uh, different pieces for and rely on some of that stuff I did plus the book. So it was very, um, it's delicate for sure. There's no other word for it, right? You got to be careful how you write stuff, and, but you do have to be professional and, and step back uh, and, and write in an impartial tone. That's in that, but was it, is it was surprising? That... I, I guess my thing, JP, is it like surprising to know? Because we're, I mean, we're sitting here, we're talking about Benoit. I mean, when they got done, I mean, the, the, his brain, the amount of damage that was done. I, I guess, and, and you probably can't answer this question, or, or, I mean, do you, when you're writing that book, did it ever qu cross your mind, like, where does the accountability lie for this? Is it the organization? Is it the person? 
or is it the people that are watching this? Good, good question. Uh, the thing about the writing the book though was that it came out right away. We didn't have all that stuff, right? Because I mean, if you're you're publishing deadlines early August, um, not all that stuff came out. Uh, Irv Muchna continued the the dialogue um, quite a bit in his Nancy and Chris book that came out um, like a full year later. So he explored a lot more of that stuff. But as a wrestling fan. Um, yeah, I know you take a little bit of that responsibility in that, you know, we want these guys to perform. And, and the bar had just got, kept getting higher and higher to the point that um, the concussions were just part of it that we accepted. And that shouldn't be the way it is. And, and football is going through a lot of that now, as you mentioned. And, and I hope they find a way around it. But, you know, there may not be professional football as we know it in another 10 years. Right. It, it's just the way that sport's changed. Is it the same um, kind of like when we talk about the enforcer position in hockey? I mean, is that absolutely. relevant? I mean, for me, I love the enforcer. Like that's that I grew I grew up loving the enforcer. Like when those guys stepped in the ice, you knew that they were going to go find Wayne Gretzky and try to knock him on his ass. Oh, I'm not sure about well, that. I think that, but there were guys there to protect Gretzky. Um, the enforcers. Yeah, but they, they didn't go target. It wasn't headhunting in that sense, right? It wasn't them going out there to try to target some specific guy. Um, but there is an element of that in, in hockey for sure. Uh, and, and wrestling's similar. Uh, but in the end, these guys are independent contractors, the wrestlers, right? So they had nobody looking up for their interest. When I talk to an 80-year-old wrestler, he's, his brain's pretty well scrambled, right? Or he's not going to be great. When I talk to an 80-year-old hockey player, He's had a chance. He's had somebody looking out for him his whole career, right? He's had a, a manager. He's had a coach. He's had a trainer. He's had teammates, all these people that were in his best interest, and a union, more importantly. Uh, so that's probably the fundamental difference between the two of them. And, and I, I hope that sort of makes sense, is that, you know, wrestling no, it absolutely, is... it absolutely makes sense, because that's the contention that JP and I have had for over 15 years, yeah. that it's yeah. still, there's no, everything that you get, in an organized organization like the NHL, you do not get in professional wrestling. No, You're right. Uh, you get fame, I guess. That's the but that's the main thing they want, right? So I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> now, why do we watch it? I wonder sometimes. Yeah, I wonder every time I watch it. Lately, now you got a couple of projects coming up too. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, it's yeah. always. You always got to work on the next project. So the latest book is called The Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, The Story It Tellers. And Steve Johnson and I go from like the 1890s uh, right up to, you know, talking to Kenny Omega about his ideas of storytelling and, and what he's trying to do in, in the wrestling ring. Uh, so it was quite fascinating. I mean, we do the Bears and the Midgets. Uh, we, we go into the hardcore death style matches, um, like all kinds of different aspects. Uh, and again, it's called The Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame the storytellers from the terrible Turk to Twitter. Uh, so it was a lot of fun to work on. That's the latest book that's on shelves and would look really good under your Christmas tree. Yeah. Um, I, that's my style of wrestling. Like I love watching the stories. I love yeah. watching the story being told in the ring. So that's definitely one I am going to grab. But, but we also talk about some of those behind the scenes things too, or how, you know, the whole throwing a belt off a bridge came about. You know, so there's different aspects of it, too. Like, you look at the ultimate deletion. So those are more recent examples, right? Um, so it's, it's a great book. But the other one that has wrestling fans, certainly in, in the Northeast, uh, in the United States, excited is I've been working with John Arezzi on his memoir. And John Arezzi, for those who don't know, was a pioneering uh, radio guy doing a wrestling radio show in the early 90s when nobody else was really doing that. Right. And he, that led him into promoting this and that, but the, I wouldn't have taken the job probably if it was just about writing about that because John also, you know, left everything behind and went and worked for the New York Mets for a year, uh, which was fascinating in itself, just learning about the minor league baseball. But then he went into a bar and saw a fascinating singer and he says, I love this singer. I got to do something with her. And it was Patty Loveless. So he helped manage her early career before she became a country huh. music superstar. And they needed country music for, he's still in country music. So 20 years later. Wow. So I get to hear stories about Kelsey Ballerini and Sarah Darling. And 
but the hard part is trying to figure out how this is going to work, right? Does every wrestling fan know all these, you know, country music stars or do, do every country music fan that reads this want to know about the wrestlers? I, I haven't figured out that part yet, but uh, that's, that's coming up shortly. That's I, you know what? Like, I don't know country music at all. I know the names. I know like Taylor Swift and I know she's named in there. I'm just looking right off of. All I didn't of even know you knew the word CA. country, JP. But um, I know the first half of it. I do a podcast with one. <laughs> but um, it's You're such an asshole. <laughs> but it's um, like I know Taylor Swift, and that's you know I want to see how this intertwines because you're talking three completely different industries with pro wrestling, country music, and. I'm from Boston, so I can't say the name of that team in New York. I can't say the name of either team in New York, but, you know, there was something <laughs> in 86 that happened. and uh. Well, we may have to say it more. I saw. I don't know if you guys saw it. There's a tweet that Tommy Dreamer sent out today to The Rock saying, you know, the Mets are now for sale. Let's let's buy them. So, yeah. That would be something. awesome, actually. <laughs> what? I did not see that. No, it was meant as a joke, I think, but The Rock's the only guy we know that has enough money to even think about yeah, that, right? So The Rock absolutely has that kind of money. Yep, yeah, that'd be neat. So, now, Are you an all-around sports guy, or are you strictly pro wrestling and hockey for the most part? Uh, I've done lots of different things over the years. Um, you, you never know where things are going to take you, right? My brother's a very accomplished basketball guy, um, so I've been doing a little bit of basketball stuff with him lately. Um, it's wherever the world takes you, right? I mean, I had an offer once to do a curling book, but I turned it down. I just couldn't see myself doing it. Um, you know, so you just don't know what's going to be around the corner. I actually have a, a, we talked about self-publishing. So there's a book I've done on a guy named Billy Van. Uh, so I'm waiting for the feedback from his family before we, we self-publish it. But he was an actor. He was on Sonny and Cher. Uh, he did all kinds of stuff, including. The, but he's best known for the hilarious House of Frankenstein, which was a a kids horror show of, of the weirdest thing to say in the world. But that's exactly what it was. And so I wrote his biography, and so that took me in a whole different world, dealing with actors and and agents and and people behind the scenes of that. And and so I loved it. I loved the challenge of of learning new things. So I, I that's partly why the John Rezzi book appealed to me is I'm going to learn new things. That's now I'm looking at your website now and you have some stuff for sale other than oh. the books. Of oh, course, the, the books are the iron ons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Josh, he's got iron ons from the 70s. No, yep, for six yeah, bucks. We... Oh, six bucks, like uh... $5.99. You, the only the caveat to that is you've got to find a T-shirt printer, which I mean it's not yes. that hard to do anymore. So somebody who's going to have a big, uh, flat device that like a heavy T-shirt press that'll make sure it stays on there. Right. But I mean I've had mine. I've got a Dick Murdoch and a Wahoo McDaniel one that I wear often, um, and I've had them for five or six years now. But yeah, these are vintage 1970s iron-ons. Um, they the short story is that the AWA made them up. These ones were all in um, Terry, Terry uh, sorry, they were in Al Tomko's basement, who was the, the AWA promoter in Winnipeg. Wow. And when he moved to go to Vancouver to promote there, uh, he left his stuff behind with a guy named Terry, uh, Terry Machula. And so um, Terry, you know, has, has given me some to, to sell, and, and we've done okay with them. Um, and they're fascinating. And you get to then you take the iron on, you get to choose. I want to have a Ric Flair, you know, iron on on a hoodie. Well, you can do that then if you find a place that'll do it right. for you. So. so these are legitimately from the 1970s. Yeah. No, Good glue that. then. Good glue. I Well, That's... I mean, it, it's it's old technology, really. Yeah. It still right. works, right? Whereas you buy a fridge now and it's done in, in, in three years, right? Exactly. That's, that stuff was built to stay. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm looking through some of these. And, I mean, the Heenan family, Nick Bockwinkle, Briscoe, Flair, Murdoch, Terry Seriously? Funk. Wow, that's Dory. awesome! Jumping well, Jim Brunsell. You're, you're, you're a uh, you're a Patriots guy. You should get a Bill Francis one with his name spelled wrong. I haven't sold one of those for some reason. So, <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's odd. They did a couple of spelling mistakes. I mean, Dick Murdoch's name is spelled wrong. Uh, yeah, it's Bill Francis, like like the the woman's name, Francis. 
I didn't even catch that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I haven't sold any of those. Imagine that. <laughs> I'm looking at that one now. That's wow. Yeah, imagine uh, walking in just... the, the Gillette Stadium with that. Come on. <laughs> that's insane. That and that's so that's but these are literally like I talk about you being a historian. These are a piece of history. If I bought and I'm probably gonna buy a couple, I don't know if I would bother putting them on a shirt. I know. I am well, they now. don't. But the, see, they're reversed, right? They don't look that good otherwise. That's and all that's right. I, mean, I just want. I know what they are. Okay. You know what I mean? Just as a like a collector of stuff, I would know what it is. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're they're really unique. I'll I'll say that, and uh, I've enjoyed, uh, you know, promoting them. But what I what I did find was going to those fan fests and stuff that, you know, bringing T-shirts is a yeah. hassle. So we're doing it this way and just trying to unload the, you know, the, the iron on itself is a lot easier. Now, have you set those up at tables? Uh, yeah, yeah. But again, they're, they're, they're a little big and bulky. And then people ask, well, can I get this one? Then you got to look through them all and you got to find them an envelope. You got to like to do those things in person at that moment is, is a bit of a hassle, but uh, I have done it and I will do it again. Um, I was supposed to do one in New Jersey recently, but I didn't end up going. Uh, life interferes sometimes. Oh, absolutely. That's, and you can get all, you can get all of your books, including an autograph book by you and Quinn for what duck with the buck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's still uh, I mean he's thirteen now, he's a little too cool for it all, but it's still pretty awesome that we did that together. But, so Yeah, you know what? In in twenty years when he's thirty three, he'll appreciate that. Yeah, well we can you definitely know, appreciate it. He'll be able to it. say, Hey, I wrote a book, you know, I'm an author. no matter what you always wrote a book so you're always an author yep yep, like i don't think you lose that you know yeah and everything else that came with it the little bit of celebrity he got you know we were on tv and stuff like that so that's awesome yeah he was the cool kid for a few minutes for a few minutes yeah that's something (laughs) i never was in school i was i was watching wrestling uh, you know yeah oh trust me i'm I understand it wasn't cool, but it was, you know, you had to almost hide it back in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Well, Until I mean, the Hulkamania, Attitude Era. Hulkamania ran wild, uh, so that's how I got involved and got interested in wrestling, and it was all through the schoolyard. But it was not a fad that really lasted, right? And so, you know, it wasn't too long thereafter when nobody was ever talking about it anymore, but yet here I was doing a wrestling newsletter here he was, you know, doing all this other stuff, and I, I couldn't let it go. And and that leads us up to today in seven books and another wrestling book in the works. He should write a book on WrestleFanFest 2007. <laughs> <laughs> Which one was that one? Was I at that one? I can't remember. It was one. It was, it was the show. So we were actually, the, the guy who was running this was this guy, Chris Salisbury. Was that and the one in San this, Francisco? Yes. No. Oh, okay, okay. Well, I had guys there then, yeah. So. And that, did they get paid? Oh, no, I had writers there and stuff. They went oh, down okay. for the moment yeah, and all that, that. He, he had come to both of our shows at the time, and they like, had us helping to promote him and was like using our names at the time on people. And then so when he, he disappeared really quick after that. It's a crazy um, business. That was the one what, with what? the Ring of Honor at the Cow Palace and... Yeah, I'm glad I wasn't there. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I was glad I was on the East Coast for that one. We literally, I literally showed up at the airport to get my ticket, and there was no ticket there. Well, it, it was it, a good you, thing. Yeah, you, you you didn't have to go then. You didn't. But then again, my guys yeah. have great stories about sitting with you know Scott Norton oh, is yeah. another name I mentioned. You know, sitting in the bar and hearing him vent. You know, it, it's it's a crazy business. Yeah, it, it's insane. And it's, now, how far back is a historian? I know you brought up the 1890s earlier, which is kind of insane. How far back have you actually tracked wrestling? Uh, well, Steve did a lot of that. But um, the 1890s, I mean, wrestling was worked then. I mean, everybody who talks about, you know, the idea that, you know, Frank Gotch was legit uh, is, is nuts. I mean, it, it was not the case at all. Um, they had different ways of working for sure. Uh, and it may not have been as evident as it is say today, um, watching, trying to watch Marco stunt or something, but 
Um, it's just different, right? And that's what pro wrestling is about. Right. So this is my take on it is like, I've always loved pro wrestling and I didn't always as a kid, I didn't understand it was a work, but I do now. And, you know, back then I loved watching Hulk Hogan and I loved watching Ricky Steamboat and Piper. And I believe that it was real and I bought into it. Now I understand and I love watching Marco Stunt, Orange Cassidy, and those guys. It's it's complete. It's different, but it's entertaining and it's pro wrestling. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll agree. I, and I understand there's there needs to be a fan base for that. It's the same, you know. Go to the hockey game. Some guys love the goalies. Some guys love the uh, you know the fighters. Some guys love the goal scorers. You know the, the showboats, whatever it is, right? So you need the variety, and wrestling provides that in spades for sure. If hockey was all fights, I would love it. Well, then there we're back a, to the concussion issue, aren't we? Right. There was a time in the 1980s. That's like saying if, if the Patriots actually didn't cheat, I'd, I'd watch football. Oh, get out of here. <laughs> oh. There was a time in the 80s with the NHL in Boston when they were playing. They played at the old Boston Garden, of course. Ray Flynn was the man. And... He was actually instructing cops to go on the ice to break up fights and arrest them. <laughs> I don't know that anyone ever got arrested, but he was literally like giving those orders to the police to break up the fights on the ice. I believe it. It was uh, it was a tougher game in the eighties, and so our book <laughs> "Don't Call Me Goon," where we talked to a bunch of them, is a lot more about that. Uh, is, is interviewing the guys uh, who who fought a lot and what it was like. And we didn't really explore all the concussions. It was, it was a little bit more of a love-in. Uh, in retrospect, I probably wish we had gone into a lot more of that, um, the effect on the bodies and this and that. But, uh, you know, it, it is what it is. It came out when it came out. Now, Greg, where can people find you on social media and stuff if you want it to be found? <laughs> if I wanted to be found. <laughs> uh, that's a good point. Um, so, oliverbooks.ca is my personal website. Uh, Slam Wrestling is, of course, uh, the website. You can just Google it. It's probably the easiest. It's a bit complicated to describe. I wish we had SlamWrestling.com, but we don't. Um, but we're part of the Post Media chain, which is the largest newspaper chain in Canada. Um, so it's pretty easy to find, and Google loves us. Um, but then I'm on Twitter, uh, Greg Mep, M, M as in Meredith, my wife, uh, E and P, Greg Mep. Uh, is both my simpatico and and you can find me on Facebook as well. Um, but yeah, I like I do like interacting. I and I miss it. Like when I mentioned, Slam Wrestling's been around for 23 years. We used to get tons of email, but now you don't always see that, right? An article may go viral, but you don't get the right. Feedback. So I try I, to make a point of writing to somebody if I really like what they did. Uh, it's just a small little thing I've committed myself to. I feel like back then, like we use WrestlingNewsSource.com a lot. Like they post all of our stuff and everything. So we have a, a decent partnership with them, but they're sort of newer. They didn't come out until they, they're maybe 10 years old, if that. I feel like back when Slam started, it was more, there was opinion-based stuff, but I feel like you guys had to dig a little more because uh, kayfabe was sort of still a thing. And, uh, but you guys had to dig and get your own sources and kind of make friendly with some of these guys where I don't think the newer sites now get that opportunity. No, they don't. And, and yeah, we certainly fought for that respectability. Um, like a good example, the WWF, WWE had an office in Toronto. Uh, so that meant that there was often talent coming through town, but they would often try to control what you're writing. Well, no, I work for a major newspaper chain and you're not controlling what I write. It doesn't work that way. Um, right. Whereas a lot of other guys never went through that. I mean, even it, so we also published a book about slam wrestling that ECW press published just called slam wrestling. And in there we explore a lot of the WWE's decision to uh, eliminate any discussion with internet sites at all, which is just crazy. So that was right. their plan was that, you know, we're not going to talk to internet sites. We have our own website. Okay. They obviously didn't see where the world was going. Uh, but you know, we were part of the guys that fought for that and that made it change that same thing at WrestleMania. Uh, I can remember see WrestleMania 2000, I'm filing to the entire newspaper chain of, of, of the sun media. And 
the WWF hadn't bothered to turn on the Wi-Fi in the press box because it cost oh. more money. This is this is WrestleMania, so we ended up uh, finding somebody who worked at the Arrowhead Pond. I put my story on a floppy disk, and we went down to their office, and they booted up their computer where they had internet, and I filed from there to an entire newspaper chain across Canada. Oh. So that's how things have changed now. I mean, the, the WWF, the WWE does a wonderful job with the media at WrestleMania. My guys basically fight to go every year. Um, so they, they've learned, and we all learn. But, I mean, we were definitely part of that fight. And that's – I just feel like that's the difference. And I don't get me wrong. Like, I love the stuff that's out there now. But, like, you guys fighting for that. Like, I used to love watching, like – I would go on to the news groups before the websites were out. And then when the websites came out, it was basically like you guys. And, you know, Meltzer probably always had something uh, with one wrestling and stuff like that. But, I mean, Slam Wrestling has been quite a name for years. So, thank you. Yeah, that's no, not I really think easy that's to quite do. quite true. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fun and it's entertaining and... Uh... You never know what you're gonna get. There's just so much content now, right? There's so much wrestling. I want to. I want to ask right now. I want to ask Greg just like a quick question, especially with like this newer generation, and we keep talking about professionalism. Um, like I don't know if you know, like a lot of these younger kids use what's called Patreon, where it's a, a subscription service to go on there and they mm-hmm. sell items and things like that. I mean, is that something you're familiar with? And is that I mean, so you mean the wrestlers selling stuff or yeah, 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 that's fine. I, I understand everybody's got to make a buck out of it. It's the same thing. Like when I go to an indie show and I set up a table selling my books, I know I'm taking maybe a couple of bucks away from somebody else, right? Somebody who needs those t-shirt sales to put food on the table or whatever. Um, but it's like, I've got to make a living too. And this is, this is my market, right? So, uh, Patreon is a little bit more obvious with it all so i think i think that's the one thing i guess i like about it is that they're very upfront and saying well here i need the money send me the money here right it's not some something underhanded or anything right no 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 and they get usually they get some kind of service for their whatever they're paying you know yeah a bonus so even john arezzi who i mentioned i'm doing the book with so he's got a patreon page for people to go listen to his entire old archives oh wow uh, yeah, so it's it's pretty neat. You get to listen to these interviews, like Classy Freddie Blassie from, you know, 19... Well, he had early ones that he did with Freddie Blassie, but, you know, guys... From, like Ricky Steamboat when he left the NWA. You know, he's... Or sorry, when he left WWF and went to the NWA and then left the NWA and was a free agent, John got his first interview. So, you know, there's some really cool stuff there archived. Um, but John had the foresight to keep everything. And I don't see this happening in, in 20 years, right? Where are the archives going to be for some of this stuff? Right. Everything's going to be YouTube. And, and oh, we're yeah. guilty of that, too. Like, I have most of ours, but if I upgrade my computer, I'm going to lose everything. Well, the amount of time that Steve Johnson and I have spent poring over old letters in the Jack Pfeffer collection at the University of Notre Dame is goes back to the question about, you know, what makes a historian? Well, I mean, time... And, and commitment is certainly a big part of it. And, you know, did everything pan out when we were there? No. But we did spend, we spent, I spent four days there and he spent five. It was, uh, it was very important for us to do that and mine it for as much as we could. That's, and that's it. And I mean, that's the answer to what takes to be a wrestling historian, I guess, is time and studying and commitment. Yeah. Yeah. It's certainly not for the payoff. I got one last, I got one wrestling historian question before I let you go. Okay. Was Abe Lincoln a worker? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, first off, there's a great mural of him at the, at the Waterloo uh, Tregostez Hall of Fame. Uh, so he's celebrated there. Um, wow. I, I think those were more legitimate back then. Okay. To be quite honest. I mean, they're, they're more like bare knuckle fights. Uh, if you look at the way it was all set up and arranged and this and that. Uh, I think that would would be closer to what uh, what he was doing, but okay. but was, he's a politician, so naturally he's a worker anyway. Yeah, absolutely, they all are. But that's been honestly like a question that I've always wondered. 
because yeah, no, you always hear the story that he was, he was a, a wrestler. Yeah, when people say he was a wrestler, it's not quite what we envision at all. It yeah. means that you know he did, you know, compete locally or whatever in in strongman competitions, essentially, or you know who's the best at this, and that's always gone on and always will. I mean, there's pictures of of guys wrestling uh, in hieroglyphics in 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 Egypt, right? I mean, wrestling will always that's, be around in some yeah. form. Yeah, and it it's. I'm glad it's at where it's at, but I miss where it was. That's there's nice no Roddy Piper. There's no Roddy Roddy Piper right now. There's there's no rock. Like there's nobody right. that transcends. Um, I think the I closest is Jericho. <laughs> yeah. I think he put himself with the stuff he's doing now and staying relevant. I think he's put himself as one of the greatest of all time. But what's after him? Is it Omega? Hmm. But Ken, uh, Kenny Omega's a good dude, but yeah, I don't think he has that um, appeal that Jericho did. And Jericho's been brilliant about remaking himself. Yes. Uh, yeah. Deserves a lot of credit for that. It's crazy how he stayed relevant. But, Greg, listen, we've taken up an hour of your time. Well, it, it flew by, guys. It's, so that's it's a good gone thing. by quick. Um, guys, check out oliverbooks.ca all of his books are there the, the t-shirt the the iron-ons are there I'm going to be ordering a couple once I get paid this week absolutely because <laughs> I just like I said I'm not putting them on shirts I just want to have those okay well but they make great to gifts too I, something I can say I had <laughs> and, um, but check out his books uh, when the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame Storytellers is that, that's out now correct yep yeah that came out in August now, where can they get these books? Is that strictly on your site, or is this no, like in no. Amazon? Well, what a lot of people don't know, and this, this is me speaking on behalf of all authors, is if there's a book you want, go into your local bookstore. Help support your local bookstore, and you okay. can go in there and ask for it, and they'll order it. And then chances are they might order a second copy to put on their shelves, which only helps an author. Right. So don't be scared to go into your bookstore and ask for a book. You don't necessarily have to order through Amazon or wherever. But yeah, my books are available in many different places. It was uh, certainly fun, you know, heading out wherever you are in the world and seeing them on your shelves. It, it's quite uh, <laughs> quite an accomplishment. I, it's, it's a nice, I got to have an ego in this business too, right? I typically um, say go down and uh, order two, but buy one. Yeah, That's, something like that works, yeah. Within the next, <laughs> I will be in bookstores within the next, well, coming up on Christmas holidays, so I'll absolutely be in bookstores. And I'm going to look and I'm going to ask. I think it's funny that you're going into bookstores even because you can't read. Like, I think it's, it's funny that you go into bookstores. They have pictures in some of them. <laughs> well, you got some great pictures in the book. Let me tell you, the Storytellers if, one has some awesome pictures. If that's there, I'm going to take a picture and then I'm going to tweet it to you. There you go. That's another way. You share it, right? We just got a tweet today from Poland, a guy who bought our Don't Call Me Goon book and the Goaltenders Union. So oh, awesome. you don't know where stuff is, is, is ending up. So. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's... So you will see, hopefully you'll see a tweet from me because that means it's there. And if it's not there, I'm asking for it. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Greg. I, I appreciate your time. It's Thank you both fun. for having me on the show, guys. Anytime.